thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Liberty listeners, I'm so excited to have you all um, joining us today as we get to talk to one of the funniest entrepreneurs I know, Marley Major. And Marley is um, best known as her role of founder, CEO, and party goddess extraordinaire of The Party Goddess. Um, She's done a few other things like write a book. And so we'll get into that in a little bit. But for now, I just want um, you to welcome Marley with me. And Marley, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about the party goddess? Hello. Don't I get to like do my own fanfare yeah. or whatever? No. <laughs> yes. Okay. Tell you about the party goddess. It is an ADD OCD event planning company. No. Uh, the party goddess is a full service event planning and catering company based in LA. We do travel though. Because we get that question all the time. Do you only do stuff in L.A.? And the answer is no. And that's kind of because we get our L.A. clients who say, hey, can you do something for me in XYZ City? And the answer is sure. And we handle every aspect of an event from concept to completion. So I think the easiest way to describe it is like we handle A to Z. Like you can just call me and say, here's my date. And it's my husband's birthday. And I don't know anything else. Or you can say, hey, here's the date. It's my husband's birthday. I know I want it at my house. I already have a photographer and I already have the band. Can you do Fill like AP, Q&R? Okay. So that's kind of though we can just full service it or fill in the blanks. Okay. And how long have you been running the Party Goddess? The Party Goddess will be 17 years in August. Oh, wow. Is that crazy? But it, you know, I started in the restaurant business Lord, I know make this. Make me yeah. say that twenty five years ago. No, I know this story. Right? I remember hearing this. Yeah, but I've had so much Botox that you can't. <laughs> you look fabulous. Tell, I don't know you. about that. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Um, and then okay, so you started. Just go ahead and give us that background. You started in the restaurant industry and somehow parlayed that into. I want to go into event planning and I want to run my own business. I would love it if it were that clean. But I never met. I did a class. I went to Georgetown. So I actually like have a degree, even though I don't sound like it. So I got (laughs) I went to business school, graduated from Georgetown. But in my junior year, I interviewed a chef and he was 20 years older than I was. And I decided I needed to marry him. Uh The only way that I would be able to marry him is if I could actually see him because he in Georgetown, the kitchens are underground. So I decided to convince him to work there. I worked there for a year, three days a week. He never asked me out. I plotted the whole summer how to quit. <laughs> Every woman listening to this, well, I was like, revenge. It was awesome. Had my plan. I said, I quit. And he said, okay, would you like to go to dinner? That was my senior year. He proposed the month after graduation. So how's that for goal setting and deal closing? Wow. And uh, then we got... If you want to see your husband, who's a chef, you get into the restaurant business. So then we came back to Pasadena, where I'm from, got into the restaurant business, bought the land, et cetera. That's an important component yeah. to this whole story. And then, you know, he and I, I was very focused on sales, not focused on profit, mm-hmm. which so many creative people do. And you get so busy, like, just let me add this to my revenue stream. And we were at that time doing which is good and bad, we started, okay, we can do events out of the restaurant because we had two special spaces there. And then we started the catering company from there. Then 
again, focused on revenue, not on profit. You have financial problems. You're married to the chef. What do you do? Best case scenario, you get pregnant. I did. <laughs> Put the kid in front of the cappuccino machine, like, because it's noisy and yeah. a free babysitter. And then I had a really bad skiing accident, which forced my hand. So it forced my hand all over the place because then he and I get divorced and it's like, oh, hi. So then we partnered up with the land for the restaurant. And now my dad is like, okay, well, you know, hello, what are you going to do? Why don't you just do parties? Because that's the part that you love. And fortunately, I had cut my teeth on that part of it. Yeah. And in in those days, which I say in those days, because it was so different than it is now, people were just getting websites, right? And so you could have a website and hang out your shingle and you could look like you were the biggest event planner in the world. And oh, by the way, you just happen to have a good web designer. And so the barriers to entry were very low. Whereas before websites, it was like the only people that were event planners were if you, you know, had money and you were going to do a high end wedding, or you were a big corporation doing a big event. Uh, So then when I came on to the scene kind of in 2000, it, the barriers to entry were just not there. So we could all say we were event planners. We could all say we were full service. So I did. And then I brought my old clients with me and then just started getting into more and more the full service aspect because I realized that the more you can control, the better your margins, the better the outcome, in my opinion, everything. Okay, go back to the land piece because sure. you had said that was important. So it's, you ran the business from property that you owned, correct? Which is very important because it was it. it initially, it looked like, oh my gosh, when I when I was getting divorced, my life was over mm-hmm. because I was in a very public business. Here, I was very much drinking my own Kool Aid and very much telling everybody else to drink it too. So by the time I was getting divorced, it was sort of like, yeah, ha ha, and I deserved it, and I most importantly didn't want to like like what do you how do you still have a business if you have the land but it's not your business anymore so we cut a deal with another restaurant group and so we would get paid on the net and on the gross of that so we still had that kind of like financial burden piece Mm -hmm. but in the long run because I think you always in business have to be diversified and sure, things went up and down, but then guess what? We paid that land off. And so kind of no matter what I was doing, and I was still blundering all over the place, we had that to fall back on, and we were very smart about who we picked to to occupy, have, to occupy that space. And so it allowed, it smoothed out a lot of other dramas. Wow. Okay. So you're cut it, you've cut your teeth. You understand what's going on. Right. You hung out this shingle that made you look like you knew exactly what you were doing, that and you I could be mm-hmm. full service. Well, that's welcome to entrepreneurship, yeah, right? Yeah, it till you make it. Yeah. So when did you finally say, I am I actually am this full service company and I, I'm going to embrace all components of being an event planner? Well, I decided I was going to embrace all components, whether or not I knew what I was doing okay. or not. Sometimes I still like, I think, and that's another key thing, I think, to entrepreneurship is you realize we have these moments all the time. So I've been at it now almost 25 years, right? And last week, I can't tell you how many conversations I had in my head where I was like, you know what? I don't think I can do Like, maybe I'm not that good at this. Maybe I'm, which is mm. ridiculous now, but still we get in, in those moments. Yeah. And so for me, a, a big turning point was when we got the opening of the Hollywood Bowl. And I was sitting in the Hollywood Bowl the day before. Wait, I'm sorry. You got... That's we, we the got gig to do, you got? Yeah, we got, we got, to, exactly. And wow. so I was sitting there the day before the opening and, you know, 
like exhausted and crying in my soup that I was so exhausted and I'm sitting there listening to Stevie Wonder practice and I'm like the only one sitting in the Hollywood Bowl going hello I am fabulous and again and yeah. hurry and get off yeah, your hurry, stage, baby, get off the stage. Yeah. Uh, so that was like a big one and then you have all these ups and downs and then when we started what really started to to switch was I'm I called like I made a deal with the devil in that I decided there are so many event planners the market is glutted with them yeah. you have to have a differential advantage and a differential advantage is not um my flowers are brighter or my right. website is rosier so i thought what happens no matter even my wealthiest friends some of whom net worth is more than a lot of celebrities out there yeah celebrity does it they still pay attention so i thought wow if i can be an event planner to celebrities then i'll that could be a great differential advantage because then all these people with money Will want to hire yeah. me just because, because I have celebrity clients. So that was a big turning point for me. Is that but I how did started you get going in out. that door? That's not. I mean, you're saying that as though it were. Well, not I'm saying a big everything deal. as though it wasn't a big deal because okay. there are so many dramas and skin knees. We'd be here for two months on this interview. But okay. they, what it was was I first just decided, just like I decided I wanted to marry that husband. That literally <laughs> that okay i need celebrity clients how am i going to get me some celebrity clients that's literally yeah. how it was and so i always believe in the lily pad approach in business that okay if you want to get way you know over here you start on this little lily pad and you just keep hopping and Until eventually you get, you get there and so what i did was i thought okay who knows celebrities and so i started thinking of like my family rolodex i started going through all those things then um there was a friend of mine who was a stylist who said she had a friend who was a publicist and she's a publicist um, for fashion houses. And she, because of that, they were gifting celebrities. And so she said, so she knows her some celebrities kind of thing. Like yeah. maybe you should talk to her. So it's kind of like I talked to her and then it was sort of like, hey, what can I rustle up? Like this is my goal. And oh, by the way, you know, I'm not going to stop. So hopefully if you want to get on board, great. If not, I'm still going to go do this. Yeah. So she and I did this thing where we would gift celebrities. It was totally her like concept and her context and all that stuff. I was a part of it. So when I say she and I, I mean, she was driving it and I was a part of it. But then that's how I landed my first celebrity. And what were and you gifting them? We were gifting them a party, basically. Okay. Now for a certain dollar amount, right? Okay. So it wasn't like I was saying, here's a million dollar party and do whatever you want. It was for a fixed amount. But then what would happen is the party would go over that amount. Sure. Or And it was it was a business transaction basically it was hey i will give you this and and it didn't matter to me if they did it for a charity i mean jennifer love hewitt did one for children's hospital i mean talk about win 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 for everybody absolutely literally especially those kids and so then i was like hey this is kind of cool again what's better than win times five thousand and then i started getting hooked up with these names and guess what that gave me credibility yeah and if i didn't have that I, I wouldn't be where I where I am today because then when I came out with my book or then when I wanted to do entertainment segments for TV, which I really wanted to do, they're always like, yeah, okay, you're one of 50 billion who's pitching us all the time to do entertainment segments. But when they said, hey, the girl who just planned Britney Spears' kit, you know, party or the girl yeah. that did, they were like, when can she come to New York? Yeah. I mean, the whole picture changed. Just changed. Which we can argue that that shouldn't be, but it is. But it No, but it is. And I actually think there's... It's less about the celebrity and more about the fact that you were strategic and that people now are like, okay, she's smart. She's smart at the way she's approaching business. 
let's get her on. It's not really about, oh, she got this client. Um, and so I, I think that's the the piece of it that if I were a producer on one of those right. shows, I'm like, get her because she's got something to say. Somehow she found her way to get right. into that door. Right. And that feels like um, that's the value. How far into your business were you before you strategized your lily pad approach to the celebrities? Like when, when did you say that's, that's my path? Well, I can make an argument that I strategized from day one because remember I was coming off of a very bad situation. I was probably at the lowest point and I want to emphasize that because there'll be some entrepreneurs in here who are listening to this who hopefully haven't had dramas and they're like, that's awesome. God bless you. I don't know any of you, but if that's the case, great. But then there are the ones who are like, a reluctant entrepreneur or an entrepreneur because they got laid off and they can't do it anymore and they just maybe are not feeling so hot about themselves. So it's important to realize that like to call my company the party goddess was like laughable basically because it was I was not in a good space. So to say basically I'm this deity of parties is laughable. But to me it was like, well, it can't get any worse. So let's try this approach. So I knew I had to be strategic or I was going to end up right back where I was okay. before. So so from that part. And then I my question at the end of the day was always, I had my goal. So now I knew, okay, I want my, here are my revenue goals and here are my profit goals because at least I had learned that lesson. And so then constantly that goal is in front of me and I'm repeating my goals all the time because I'm a huge believer in that. So then it was, how do I get there? And so I was always kind of like, you know, kind of scanning the dial, like, how do I get there? How do I get there? How do I get there? Until I would land on an idea. So I knew probably four or five probably four years in maybe that, hey, celebrities, I really should do this. Now, we had celebrities that came into the restaurant and and it wasn't like I didn't know the value of celebrities, but I had specifically was like, I will not play that game. They can pay for it. And if they want to work with me, they're going to. And then I changed my approach. And when I realized that this was totally win-win and probably I was getting more out of it than they were, mm-hmm. uh things changed. And so maybe four to five years in, and then when I got my, you know, celebrity, and then you you just kind of start building up and building up. And then I realized, wow, you know, I can land all that press that's on my goal thing of like People Magazine and OK and Marie Claire and all those things. I can land that. Now I can land that. So it really was one of those things where you set the goal and you have no idea how you're going to get there, but then all the dominoes fall into place. Yeah. And it sounds like because you'd had prior business experience, you knew enough to set that goal. Like the goals weren't just revenue, but it was the how. Because you can set financial goals all I'm going to give long. you, well, that's which yeah. is what I did. And even yeah. though I had a business background, I still forgot that key piece. So let me just give everybody yeah. their MBA right now. You set a revenue goal with a profit goal and decide how many hours a week you want to work to get it. And then decide if you're willing to do that. And there you go. There you go. We'll Done. be handing Thank out you. diplomas. Bye. Just send That's us it. an email. I mean, email. really, it we'll is. It doesn't seem that way, but it is that. <laughs> it is that simple. But what happens is we all forget yeah. those pieces, and we have to keep identifying what makes us unique, and why is somebody going to call us instead of somebody else. So one of the things that you just—I mean—you talked about the celebrity thing being the unique thing, but I've just toured your whole warehouse, and I know that. There's more things that make you unique. Talk a little bit uh, to the listener who was saying, okay, my takeaway is that Marley really got into the celebrity game and that's what made her different. But that's not the only thing that makes you different. So talk about what I've been seeing in the warehouse in terms of 
when you say full service, it's yeah. no joke. It You're is truly no joke. It's full, full service. service. Right. So I think the piece that I would, how I would make the through line from celebrities to that's not only what we do is landing a certain caliber of client gave me then other high-end clients who became my ideal clients because they had money and because of their money, I think they were probably confident and willing to take a risk on something quirkier. And I had a quirky artistic side. So because of that, I could kind of go out on a limb. And the more Mm -hmm. I went on the limb, the more we were recognized for doing kind of cool different stuff. And then what we fell into was with margins getting tighter and tighter in our industry and in pretty much every industry, I, again, had to keep reinventing myself saying, okay, it isn't just enough just to have this list of celebrity clients. How do I keep ahead of the game? Well, now all these rental companies were starting to have funky furniture and all these Mm -hmm. things. So their events now could look really different. And that was threatening to me. So what I decided was, how am I going to how am I going to make up my margins, number one, and how am I going to make my events still look really cool? So we started acquiring furniture, basically from things that would get like the Goodwill and, and um, Salvation Army. That's nothing new. You know, you, you get it and you refurbish it. There are a million shows sure. on that stuff. But I took it one step further when I was um, redoing some property and I went to this place where they would donate, they got construction supplies, and then this would benefit Habitat for Humanity. So what would happen is a a huge construction company is working on a project, and they had a half a bag of cement, you know, times five, and nails, and pegboard, and acrylic sheets, and all that stuff. And then, oh, by the way, they would, you know, the office building would go out of business, and so there'd be some chairs, and some this and that. And so I was going in there going, hey, I could use this stuff for some building projects, and then realized, wait a second, like, those cool chairs are $5, or that piece of furniture if I paint it it's 30 bucks if I painted it that could be a really amazing buffet and then I realized and guess what I'm not spending that much and I'm benefiting and you don't look like everybody else and most importantly don't look like everybody else and most importantly all this stuff that gets dinged as it's going out and back in doesn't matter because I'm going to repaint it repolish it reupholster it so now that's become our and you guys are kind of the first ones to hear that now that's become our really specific thing is making stuff out of trash. I mean, yeah. we talked about earlier, but that's my goal is if I could get everything out of a dumpster, I'd love it. Which is hilarious because to go through your lookbook, you'd never know that. Uh, or no. to see your end product, you would never in a million years guess that that's where you've salvaged those things from. Well, and that's part of part of that though, I think is, is the ultimate creativity. Like, you know, we could all be creative if we just were like, I'm going to go to the art store and spend $10 million sure. on pain and this and that. To yeah. me, it's like, I've, I've had enough experience now. I know how to do parties. It's like, give me the next challenge. So for me, it was how can I sell a client on this table is just as cool, if not cooler than anything you will ever be able to rent. But oh, by the way, I'm the only one you can get it from. And if you want it that badly, because I'm going to show you why it is so cool and you want it, then you have to get it from me. And that has become its own. You want this stuff? You got to hire her. Well, and I know you and I've known you for a while now. (laughs) Very long time. (laughs) Um, But that sort of, lends itself to where I want to go next, which is to talk about your book, because it's clear that not only have you been strategic and set the goals, but even within 
what you've tried or what you've accomplished, you've been really smart about. It's not just, oh, let me take that junk and make it pretty or better. Right. That's probably the challenge and that's probably the fun, right. almost hobby piece of it for you. But because I know you and because I've listened to you speak and gone to workshops, I know that for you, it's also bottom line driven. 100%. So tell us, this is a great way to um, uh, have you tell us a little bit about your book, which is called But Are, but you, are making you Making Any Money? money? Um, which every entrepreneur needs to ask themselves. So tell us, how did you go from party planner to, hey, I have an idea. Let me add one and a mother of three by the way let me add one more thing to my list let me write a book well it was I wrote the book because in that transition from the restaurant business to have to being an event planner and going through a divorce and having my confidence and all that stuff rocked and by the time I wrote the book I was on the next husband who was a CFO so I thought okay at least I made a good choice with this husband because now my business advice will be free because evidently I need a lot (laughs) and so But then what happened was, what I found was, I was, if you don't handle a problem the first time, guess what? It comes back. You can't Mm. just whitewash the house and hope the termites are gone. You got to freaking handle what's in the foundation. And I didn't. So again, I was goal setting. And yes, I was looking at my profit margin, but not closely enough. I just didn't know how, which is ironic because I'd gone to one of the best schools in the world. And it has nothing to do with them. It has to do with, I think, this challenge of learning something in school and then being able to stir in emotion and and then apply it to your business when when it's saying cut your employee that you've had for two years because the numbers aren't supporting it and you're like i can't i you know and it's like emotional reality meets real life and so can i ask you a question so would you say that it was you were spending when you shouldn't have been spending or that you weren't taking the time to find money or that you were not adding enough um other revenue opportunities all three and i was i got in the classic vortex that every well i have yet to meet an entrepreneur who doesn't you get so busy the phone keeps ringing you take the job you bake the cupcakes over and over and over and then what do you say you don't have time to calculate how much the sugar costs and the flour and everything else and so once again i got adrift from what I knew I needed to do. I needed to say this linen, if I'm gonna get this linen for $20 and I'm gonna rent it to my customer for $40, I cannot forget that that has a shipping charge and a pickup charge and that that needs to be factored in as well. An employee handling it. And an employee handling it. How much time to handle it? And are they an employee with 16% or whatever it is, payroll taxes, or are they an independent contractor? All those little things. So I knew that here I was getting overwhelmed again and I needed a very simple approach and I had heard about job costing. And so I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. But when I went to to research stuff on job costing, all I could find were construction companies who had job cost nails and all that stuff. And I thought, well, what am I gonna do with that? Like I need to job cost my little business. Mm-hmm. So that's why I ended up writing the book was really to solve my own problems because as we were joking before, but I have really bad ADHD and I needed to be able to see this in buckets. Like I needed to be able to see Here's the cost of goods sold bucket. Here is the time bucket, mm-hmm. which is mine. Um, here's the overhead bucket. And here's kind of the all the other stuff bucket, which is the like, we're having this podcast, right? And what did I say? Hey, do me a favor. I'm desperate for coffee. Well, you, it, if you're working my system, would factor in not only, let's say, how much you're going to pay a production assistant or whatever mm-hmm. to somebody to cut the edit the tape, but you would have to factor in 
the coffee you had to get the guest and the this and the that right. and it all eats away at your bottom line and it sounds very simple but we forget all that sure. stuff and that's the difference between profitability and losing money sure one of the things that i often say with clients consulting clients is how many times did something or someone touch that so if they're bringing in a product uh from china let's say so you have the shipping but then who who is the next person to touch it was there somebody that had to deliver it to you and did you pay that charge? Okay, and then who touched it? Right. Oh, so there was somebody who literally had to open it up and bring it to your desk. That was an hourly person. So then then who touched it? And once you start figuring all those things, you're like, but am I making any money? Like, what? you realize where it went because all you see is, I got it from China. It was five bucks. I'm selling it for 30. I'm fine. I'm fine. And yeah. and and then you're so busy selling it for 30 on Etsy yeah. or whatever that you're not realizing. Yeah. yeah, it's the five plus all the people that touched it. But then you're realizing, oh, but the, what about the time that you had to pay to have it expedited shipping? So even if you're kind of in your brain, going, I paid five, and then I always pay 20 for shipping, but yeah. I get 20 of the items. Well, now guess what? You paid 70 because somebody had to have it. You blew it. You entered the thing That's wrong. Right. They've on, on, on. And then you don't factor in, this has been a real big one for me personally, but also for several clients, you don't factor in the cost of retaining that client, the time it took to advertise to them, even if you say I don't pay for advertising, right? It could be just logging we in your pay social for media time. Whether you say right? you pay yeah. or you pay, you like, pay. Okay, I've been doing social media X amount of years. That person finally converted. Well, how many of my hours or somebody I paid who put time into no that? Kidding. Like it's the conversion of, I've always said, like I don't know what the actual number is for Starbucks, but you know, Starbucks knows how much it costs to convert a Dunkin' Donuts client into a Starbucks client. And they may say it's $27 to convert that person. And we're not going to make that $27 back until that person comes to us five times right. and buys a coffee. It doesn't matter. Right. They understand that. They under, they, they, that, mo- that unit is figured in every time they sell a coffee. And then it goes to how you create your policies because let's pretend it is the $27 to convert a Dunkin' Donuts person. Then you say, hey, listen, um, it only costs us $17 to retain a client, meaning, you know, every couple times you're going to have to give them something free, a couple times you're going to have to do that. So then you say to your people, hey, guess what? Whatever you do, I mean, within reason, keep those clients. Yes. The the bad ones we want to weed out, but that's a different process. Because if we're going to get them from over here, not only are we going to have to pay to retain them once we get them, but we've got to... Absolutely. And and so it's that acquisition cost that creams you. Which is why so many of these subscription companies are, you know, have set themselves up in such a way, right? Let's be really great to those customers that we acquired. Let's keep them in the club. And then we don't have to spend those dollars. Right. Let's only service those people. So, okay, we're going off on that. Tell me, let's go back to the book. So you wrote the book because yes. you yourself we're looking at your own numbers and saying, but am I making any money? Right. And the answer was no. So then my key component, kind of Which, my secret sauce. let me just sauce. be clear for our listeners. The revenue was coming in in space. Under, I had revenue off the, the wazoo. It was the profitability. Right. If any, but you could easily say, I'm running a six-figure company. No problem. Maybe kind of seven. seven figure. Yeah. I, okay. 
and but that wasn't the issue. And I think that's where people get lost. They're like, I don't know, but I have a bottom line here that looks like it says over a million dollars. I should be fine. Why am I not? Why am I struggling? Well, so, why you're not not you necessarily, but all why all of us aren't fine. You can throw me in there. Is yeah. I'll throw you in the bus under the bus. Is so we have our cost of goods sold, which we all know about. You know, you you buy the item for five, as we said, from China, and you sell it for thirty, and we all think, okay, five. Add a little bit of packaging here mm-hmm. and there. We're at eight. Yeah. Oh, I should have whatever it is, you know, 22 in my yeah. pocket. Where did it go? Where the 22 went was to all the things like the overhead and the insurance and all that stuff, which even if you know you have, I find we don't accurately really add up because it's a signif- it's a more significant number than we think. Then we don't add in other people's time, which is the, all the touches you were talking about. So then there's the next chunk. And then what happens is it's our time that we don't add in. So what I give is this example of, I would plan an event, I get $10,000 to plan the event. And I'd say, oh, I have $7,000 in costs to get sold, meaning the linens, the chairs, everything else. I should have $3,000 in my pocket. I never did. My account was overdrawn. The bank was calling. Why? And so then I went down to those, those the time, mm-hmm. other people's time. And then I call it the forget-me-nots, the latte here, the client gift there, the shipping there, the, all those A, B, and C sure. expenses. And then what I realized, okay, so now I have $1,000 instead of 3000 in, in gross profit. And what I did was, this, well, how much time did I spend servicing that client? How much time was I setting this up for the wedding or whatever? And it, let's say it's two, it was 250 hours because that's about the average wedding, 250 divided by 1000 Well, I was making $4 an hour. So that's yeah. where, so that's my whole piece of my book is where I go, hey, listen, I don't care if you're making 10 cents an hour. If you're good with that, fine. But what I find is people think they're making $50 an hour being an employee, I mean, being sure. an, an entrepreneur, and they're not. So that's why I wrote the book is to show people, hey, listen, just know what you could be making on the street sure. with, you know, sure. legally. an IRA. Legally. Legally. Yeah, <laughs> legally. yeah, with me, yeah. you always have to clarify because, yeah, but no, really legally, yeah. Right. And you would have a pension plan and all these these sure. other great things. Now, I think the upside for entrepreneurship is much greater, but you have to be very smart. Well, and maybe you didn't get into it for all the flexibility sure. and all that. Maybe you actually got into it for money. So right. it, it, it makes sense. How many years in do you think an entrepreneur should give themselves before they are making money? Well, uh, people tend to say three. What do you think of that? Three to five, I think, depending on the type of business. I, I do think three to five. I will tell you that I'm hesitant to say that, though. Here's why. Because you're talking to somebody like me who then goes, cool, I'm going to sit back and spend at Neiman Marcus, you know, all this and that, because I don't really need to be worrying about making money or three, you know, yeah. for a while. And I think sometimes we take too many hall passes. Now, if the person listening to this is very responsible, Okay, you probably got three to five. However, I do think that there's some great resources out there like the Lean Startup and and um, people who encourage you to do the acid test and like moonlight. Like, do you mm-hmm. really have a business before you yeah. go full bore into it? And like the, the whole Zappos thing, not a lot of people know that with Zappos, they bought all the shoes retail, which cost them a tremendous amount because yeah. they wanted to see what sold, right? Well, you wouldn't, so they lost a ton, but intentionally, but they lost on a much shorter amount of time. Yeah. And they could expedite all that pain. It's funny. I heard Tony talk, tell that story one time and it was like, 
who, Wait, you who did would what? ever think right. to do that. But they went for proof of concept, which not enough of us do. We should all go for proof of concept. And the reason I'm, I'm hitting that home with this question that you're asking me is because if you go for proof of concept and you really road test this like you should, you should be making money a lot faster than three to five years. Okay, that's. I think that's good advice. And I think I like that it's qualified, which is always uh, helpful. Um, I love that you're giving us tips as we go, by the way. Usually that's the second half of the interview, but oh, really? we're just going to get to keep going as okay. as as we're doing Have now. I given you tips? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> you know what? What you said also reminded me of, a, I don't know if you'll remember this. You and I had coffee, um, I want to say it was probably four or five years ago now, and you said one of the things that really helped you, and I think you were giving it, you had just given it as advice in some workshop, but it was that book about business models. Oh, Do you yeah, remember that? business model generation. Yes, and oh, I remember you love. saying the problem is people have the concept yes. in, in terms of here's my market, here's what I want to do, but they don't actually understand how they're going to make the money. The distribution piece yes. and all these other yeah. components. And I, I ended up getting clients to go buy it. Oh, I, I, I was still, like, I'm yeah. stacked up at my house. I regularly can, give them out as send soon me as one because I don't hundred percent. I, I will hundred percent because I literally yeah. I'm obsessed with. By the way, they have an app now on the iPad oh, the whole nice. thing that you can run through the drills. And we'll, all these things that you're mentioning, you mentioned a book earlier. We'll put these up on the cool. on the podcast archive so that everybody can check these out. Okay, sorry. Cool. No, that's okay. So business model generation talks about and what I love is it's a collaborative book from I don't know, three or four hundred entrepreneurs from around the world so I love that because it isn't just like an American way of doing things yeah. or something like that and so it's this whole collaboration it really looks at business from all different sides and it gives uh, marketing strategies that like to go to your point of when should you make money well again depending on your strategy but they talk about how there is this whole concept of giving away something for free as the lead generator. So all those customers are costing you money, but so that they have to come back and buy more. So for example, you know, the Dollar Shave Club model and all those things because they are, or or you're going to get them signed up for a monthly thing and the first however many months cost so many money. But that was a whole thing where why Gillette made disposable razors was because they wanted them to to stop working and I want you to come back. Same thing with candle. That's why I love the candle business if it weren't so saturated. Yes. It's you've you just you're you just going right it. through it, right? No, absolutely. I um, and to that end, I also think um, people who I'm thinking of a very specific client. I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't give anything away, but so they have a business where they make something that goes into big box stores. Okay, and they have run their entire business based on. The big box store. Great for the ego. Yeah. Very risky. They're not making money. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is not, there is a client that we just did a podcast about and they sell in big box stores and this is not them. And they're not clients rather. They were just a, a podcast that we did. So it's not them. Um, and one of the things we did in looking at the business model, it, nothing changed. The product didn't change. The demographic they were serving didn't change. Nothing changed. It was just looking at the model and saying, if you sold 40% of what you sell through big box, through your own website, direct to consumer, your margins would be so much higher. You would be profiting. You would be making money. And they, and it was, it's not that it didn't dawn on them, but the cachet 
of being That's in the big say, box great store. for the ego. Yeah. Very risky. And they they were um, they've been around. They've been in business for a while. And so part of it was just not even considering that that was a real option. Right. Um, so I think the business, looking at your business model and your advice all those years ago, and literally I did buy it for clients, that book for clients, but I think is a, something that people miss. They think the business model is the concept or the idea and it's not. Yeah. And it's something that needs to be constantly revisited. Yes. And in fact, I just, I guess lecture at Georgetown every year, at least once usually. And you so just I came back, I just right? came back. Yeah. I just did the MBAs and the undergraduates and we were talking in the class because this always comes up. Our business plan's dead. Da, 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 da. Well, you would think yours truly who, you know, the last thing I like to do is follow rules. I love to make them. I don't like to yeah. follow them. But I actually do believe in business plans. I'm not saying 90-page mm. business like plans. Okay. I know most people don't like yeah. them. But here's why I say that. Do a one-page business okay. plan. with you. Yeah. With a few people who are going to try to punch every hole in it and force yourself to defend yourself and hold your own. If you can do that, yeah, we've got something. I basically say five page working document, something that has life. Forget about the uh, absolutely the killing a tree. Absolutely. Don't we to. don't need to kill the tree, but we need to do the exercises yes. that get to killing the tree. Yeah. And the the reason I said with going up against people who are going to push you, because I'm going to look at a business plan. A lot of people are going to look at it and they're going to gloss over it. And this and I'm going to look at it and be like, um, hi, the did anybody Where? look at this? This is yeah. a joke. There's no way yeah. you're going to do that kind of revenue or there's no way you're going to convert that number of customers. So that's kind of random. Well, and you do need to have that because in a business plan, you're starting with assumptions. That's yeah. one of that's one of the first rules. Don't right. hesitate. Just begin with the assumptions right. and go for it. Well, that's great to start it. But then at some point you need to look at them objectively and say, those aren't accurate numbers. Right. That demographic doesn't right. exist. We're not speaking to that demographic via our marketing, whatever it is. Right. We're not speaking to that demographic. But, oh, by the way, we still need a unique selling proposition. If we're not speaking to that market, which one are we speaking to? And why is this new one going to sell them? Okay. So for those people listening, tell me what you mean when you say unique selling proposition. Okay. So USP, you might hear it, differential advantage. Uh, It's basically, to me, it's like there are a million cupcake places out there. We all know tons of them. To me, a unique selling proposition is when Sprinkles came in and said, we're going to do the cupcake ATM. So what happens is you are a sugar addict, yours truly, you are desperate, the store is closed, whatever you want it fast. That, to me, is entertainment value. It's entertainment. Then what happens? Now you get free marketing because everybody's posting photos and tweeting. That is a unique selling proposition. It is not a unique selling proposition. In this case, is not we have amazing cupcakes. Yeah. That does not count. If you had a cupcake that flew, yeah. that's a unique selling proposition. Okay. That's helpful because I think some people get a little confused there. Um, okay. I want to ask you a question that um, a lot of people struggle with. When do you start hiring? When do you go from being solo to really bringing in people? Uh, well, answer that first. Sure. First of all, I fundamentally believe this is a little bit longer answer than but you have to know what your strengths are and you have to write down the I do this whole exercise where you write down the top three to five things that you do better in your business than anybody else and that is like basically the best use of your time and I would say I I boil it down to your hourly rate like if you're getting paid hourly like what are the things that are your highest value and for very few entrepreneurs it is filing receipts and doing bookkeeping stuff that we end up doing. 
Does that mean you need to hire the full controller? No. So what I say is you come up with the the three to five things that you're really good at. And as soon as it gets to the point where you're not doing very many of those things because you are doing the bookkeeping and everything else, that's when you have to hire somebody even, and I just say hire them part-time and depending on what part of the world you live in, what part of the world, but like ideally as an independent contractor, so you can see, and you have your, I, the goal is to have them have very specific tasks so that you are giving them three hours of filing work. And in exchange, you are doing three hours of cold calls, marketing, emails, et cetera. So meaning you can say, I'm paying this person $12 an hour. Sure. That cost me $36. And for that $36 in three hours, I can call sure. 40 clients and therefore I'm making, bring in X amount in revenue. And that, and as long as you're looking at those two numbers always, that will always tell you who to hire because you're looking for a three to 10 time return on your money. A three to 10 time return. Okay. Yeah. That's 10 helpful. is very aggressive. Three is what most people would say is, is great. Okay. But I, I say like having sh- something measurable. That's I, awesome. So do I. Okay. We also had a conversation while we're on the employee subject of how do you know who to hire? Sometimes, I mean, a job is a job, right? Um, How do you know, like, this is the person for a job? And you mentioned to me, was it an app or a website? Yeah, it's a website. And all these things that I'm mentioning, by the way, I don't, I would love to know the founders of them. I I have zero connection. So just so we're really clear on that. Yep. I just have stumbled upon them tried 50 million things that haven't worked and these certain things work. So this one is called Colby. It's K-O-L-B-E.com. And it is basically, there are a million personality tests out there. This one measures four different components and it's basically what your natural your natural inclination to do is. So what happens as an entrepreneur, we're maybe going to hire a half an employee, you know, for a part-time person or we, we need an extra pair of hands to do something. So what do we do? We ask our friends or we hire one of our friends and we think this will be awesome because they tell us they're going to be awesome. And then what happens is they're not and we can't figure it out. And there's a real disconnect between whether it's a formal interview or a really informal interview um, or and the reality. Okay. So what this does is this test measures the four different areas of basically of compatibility with the job. And it, it shows you, hey, they can say all day long that they're going to be great at bringing in revenue. But this basically brain scan of ours here tells us that that's oh, not, no, yeah. that's not the case. And so what I've started doing now is a putting anybody with whom I work and by the way, they don't have to be an employee. I want this for even people I have on retainer, right? Because if I'm paying a publicist a certain amount a month, I yeah, want to know if they have a really low follow through score, I want to know who on their team has the follow through. Because otherwise, it's just two people who are generating fabulous ideas and nobody is actually closing the deal. So I started putting everybody through that. And people that I thought were perfect in a role were getting Fs when they scored. So then I started adjusting people's skills, not to what they told me their skills were, but to adjusting to what I know they were. Yeah. And so you create now, Colby just came out with this thing, or it's new to me, where you create the boss answers the questions as the perfect employee would do things is this, this, and this. And now you rate everybody through against that measure. So here's a perfect score in A down to an F, obviously, is the worst. And then it, it's compatibility. So they say as long as somebody has a B minus or higher, you can work with that. That's awesome. I love I love that somebody actually figured that out. And I love 
because on the personality end, like, you know what you respond to. So if somebody's 100%. like s- telling me everything I want to hear and I'm pretty intuitive, but I'll, I'll fall for that. And I don't mean it in a, like that person's feeding me lies. They believe that about themselves. I believe lots of things about myself that, that are necessarily I, 100%, true. I believe I'm an anorexic supermodel. I mean, we know that's not... <laughs> Nor that's never going to be the damn case, especially with my every. You know what? And I'm resin. so glad that right. that's not the case. Um, okay, so normally we would transition into from kind of you telling us your story into the advice piece, but you've been giving us advice along the way, so we're just going to keep going. Um, and we will again all these things that you're mentioning will will list on the website for our listeners. So on the outside. Your job seems very glamorous. Right. You always look insanely amazing. You're always dressed to the nines. Um, and I've seen you in lots of environments, and that's always the case. You're working with celebrity clients. Um, you have this ginormous that we're sitting in uh, space that's both offices and warehouse for all of your stuff. Um What's the reality of being the party goddess for people who are listening? Because I think people enter into lots of jobs for the glamour Mm -hmm. and they get there and they realize, oh, the day to day, I forgot about that. That's so fun. So it's, yeah, it's taken me 25 years to be an overnight success. Mm -hmm. And yes, my office is like amazing it's amazing for me because i love warehouses and that kind of thing so yeah. no i'm not on rodeo drive but it is like exactly my amazing how i want it yeah she has chickens by the way I people have chickens yes she has chickens in the back of her babies office. about to hatch and that's exactly how i want it it's very specific mm-hmm. the piece that everybody forgets is social media and the photos and everything you see is curated just like an event is curated. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, for the most part, I have taken some photos where like I intentionally have no makeup and I'm like, I am cranky and this is what it's like to be me just because I'm cranky and I'm being a brat. But the reality of it is, is that people cannot believe, they cannot fathom if they shadow me or something, how many hours I work. And I work, I mean, I work more than most people I've ever met even. Now, I choose that and I love that. To me, it's like, what else would I do about work? Some people could say, well, maybe try to, you know, I've got one child who potentially could get tossed out of school at any point. <laughs> so that, that might be a good use of my time. Um, but the thing is, I love I love to work. But what people don't realize is, yeah, for me to be able to be standing there in front of a step and repeat on the red carpet, taking the glamour shot with the celebrity and not stressing about everything that's going on in the background is because I have loaded trucks for 25 years and I know how to load a truck and I know how to mix a drink and I know how to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever I need to do, show the guests up, you know, to da 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 and pour the wine if I have to. So I have that to fall back on and, and then you just build a great team and oh, by the way, don't think for five seconds that if somebody quits or walks off a job in the middle of it, which still happens, that I'm not not the one that steps in the one stepping in and oh by the way the one making sure that Mrs. Jones's house is cleaned up at the end of the night or yeah. supervising the photos that her kitchen really was left no, that's not me people better that's than not it was me. yeah oh yeah okay. Jones <laughs> that other um, Mrs. Jones but okay so so then give me the personality trait if somebody's listening and they say I want Marley's job I want to be a party goddess you know you can't be the party goddess that's taken it. but what do you say you really need to have this characteristic if you want to get into this business? If you want to get into this business, again, it's very important to distinguish what I do versus 
the people around me that make it happen because you need both. You need a me. And for a me, it has to be a visionary who's seeing where things are going, who is spotting trends, identifying them and as a, as, as an eye for where the reason I say where it's going is because you still have to have your eye on the bottom line. How can I make money? Um, uh, the, the, the other roles of like, Hey, listen, what if I'm not ready to be the visionary yet? I don't know how to do that or whatever. You must have insane follow through mm-hmm. and you must have, I think the insane follow through great ideas, be really good at brainstorming. And I think these days writing is getting to be more and more and more and more important. And there's so few good writers out yeah. there. And so if, if that, even if you're kind of good at that, and just start cutting your teeth on a blog with some great photos and that you know that'll take you pretty far yeah that's good advice actually for anybody regardless of what kind of business i think an entrepreneur or otherwise or event planner or otherwise um okay you're a mom um which you've talked about even to the the child who i know you're kidding is not going to get kicked out of school (laughs) um and you're a business owner and you're a business expert, which we've talked about with the book and again with your speaking and seminars and going back to Georgetown once a year and, and other events like that. What tools or resources do you use to keep yourself or apps organized on top of it? I know one thing that you showed me years ago. Do you remember this? And it was your little index flip. Oh, yes. You would. Okay. First of all, explain that to our listeners. We don't have visual aid. So so. visual aid would be, I've done this a million different ways, but it's basically index cards, three by five index cards with a a ring around Mm -hmm. them. Or now I've kind of graduated to five by seven unlined, Mm -hmm. just so we're um, clear. Again, the ADHD thing. My whole deal was that my brain would have so many ideas that if I wrote in a notebook, like a lot of people do, I would, yes, capture all the ideas, but then I'd be like, where was the thing, the website that I said? So what I started doing is on my note cards is I would have these different running, these like streams of consciousness. So I would say to myself, restaurants to check out in D.C., and then I would just write all those things down on that list, and I just keep coming back to that card, right? And then I could always just file the card and pop it into the folder D.C., so if I'm going in six months, it wouldn't matter, or I'd write business ideas, and I would write, you know, a bunch of different blog ideas that I could write. So then when I can't come up with a blog idea, I just pop it in its folder. And these days you could pop it in its folder. It could be a physical folder, which I still like. I'm still a huge write things down, even though I have every app and I'm total tech girl because it helps me yeah. to do it. And so then I put all those things. And what's so funny is when you say that is I, I moved last summer and my God, the number of boxes that just contain stacks of index cards of every concepts and every single wow. thing. It's mind boggling. I mean, I'd write my goals on that. I'd write my everything. And you used to have them color coded. Oh, yes. They're color. And then a lot of times now I have them. I just write in different marker colors. Okay. Because my brain really, that's how my brain what, works. What I love about it, I mean, it's a great way to be organized. But what I really love is that you know yourself enough to know how your brain works and you've implemented something right. that m- makes that effective because I spent many years saying why can't I just do it 
this other way. Yeah. And I finally just gave up and said, I don't know. Well, I, I have a million journals with lots of, right. you know, random thoughts in them. So maybe I need to adopt that. Okay. You talked about technology. So what are some of the apps or resources that okay. you've used? I am obsessed with Evernote. Ever, this is mm-hmm. not a new one, but I will tell you why I'm obsessed with it. Because you can share notebooks with your team. I can jot down ideas. I can use it as a calendar, everything. So let me give you one example. We all talk about strategy. We talked about strategy a lot. Yeah. So you have to have a strategy for everything. You know, your marketing plan, your financial plan, all that stuff. So we have a notebook, for example, in Evernote, which has every day of the year, one through 365, each page. And so that if potentially we're going to write a blog for that day. So we'll be like, hey, May... I'm making this up is National Pumpkin Cupcake Day. Mm-hmm. Um, December 30th is National Champagne Day. So what I have is this collaborative thing. And so I don't know about you, but if you ever try to go find the little black dress, you can never find it. Sure. Okay. So what I do is when I'm reading and I go, oh, my God, that would be amazing for National Cupcake Day. I take it and I pop the link or the into. photo into that page so that by the time it's National Cupcake Day, guess what? The blog is already written. And so... That is how I it's use cool. it. I also, with Evernote, you can have, um, you can hashtag certain things on Twitter and it'll automatically put it in your Evernote. Yeah. So I love that. I love if this, then that, I-F-T-T-T, because it creates those little automatic things. So if you, in my email, because I'm really bad about like procedures and stuff, I don't like to write them, but I like everybody to follow them. So now I created a tab just in my Gmail and I have this little applet, it's called, that every time I tag something procedures, it goes into a note in Evernote. So when I'm then redoing my employee You've stuff, got saying all your it notes. has got the 9,822 times I said procedures and like, yes, and I just cut and paste them all. And oh, then that's here's brilliant. your procedure list. So is it intuitive? Is Evernote intuitive? Um, For those who don't know it? You know, or maybe did you spend time like looking at a YouTube video on how to use it? Well, I would I mean, the only reason I'm hesitating is I would say, yes, it's intuitive. But how I think you crank the last juice out of the orange is to not just go to the Evernote resources, not that they're not great. But how I always learn is when I go to John Doe, who is the how self-proclaimed did- Evernote expert on YouTube. Right. And I go, that's awesome, because that's the guy that's putting it in the real world. Otherwise, it's the marketing department of Evernote. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah. this guy who's cleaning his okay. garage and that's cataloging the tip. parts, that's that's what I do for everything, by the way. You know, I think that's a really good tip, because often people hear, oh, this is a good tool. And they're like, but how do I use it? Right. Now, that's and, your next well, book. <laughs> <laughs> but how do I use it? And uh, Pinterest is another one. I know people say, oh, Pinterest, oh, yawn, yawn. But here's why I love Pinterest, because you can take photos on your phone and put them up onto secret boards, right? So we were talking about this whole marketing thing we're doing with these staged photo shoots. And I want my team, if I'm, I could be in the paint store and be like, oh my gosh, we keep talking about aqua. This is the shade of aqua we're talking about. I can snap a photo with my phone, pop it into the Pinterest board, so then everybody knows exactly which aqua I'm talking about. And then it can be collaborative. Like, so if you're in any kind of creative business, whether it's about a you know, bride and their invitations, or whatever, everybody can dump all that stuff in and then you can go, okay, wait a second. So what's the direction? Right. And so I love it. I love Pinterest. You, yeah, I think it's just learning how to use it as a different tool. Not Instead just for, of just thinking that you're just pinning stuff that other people can follow you, who gives a damn? I mean, yeah. just pin it so that it helps you. Yeah, no, I think that's super, that's super helpful. Um, okay, so people who are taking the entrepreneurial plunge, women in particular, yeah. um, 
you know, starting at record pace, uh, failing at record pace. Yep. Why do you think that is? Very easy. Mm. They have a great idea, which probably is a great idea. Uh, they don't take the time in the beginning to research, is it a great idea that I can actually make money at? And is it a great idea that I have a unique twist on that somebody else isn't doing that I can get paid what I want to? Or, and they also just don't do the front end, like whether it's shadowing the entrepreneur or following or reading what it really takes because people mm-hmm. just don't realize, wow, how many times I miss something at my kid's school. Now I'm okay with that. I mean, loosely okay, sure. right? There are some women who just, there. there's no way. Well, then how do you become a, how are you a party planner? If you're working every other Saturday night, right? How yeah. do you do it if you have to be at every single thing? So I think it's those really honest questions. And then it's, how much money do I make? And it's really crunching those numbers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that is exactly um, on the lifestyle end of it. It's probably one of the, I'll say it's the number one thing on the people right. that I've worked with who are struggling. And we talk about, you know, double bottom lines and right. it's the family piece of it is is important too. And it's okay, then we're going to go to the revenue column right. and we're going to lower that. Right. So if you're not okay with that, right. I mean, something's got to give. Right. It's just like life. Right. Something's got to give or a tube of toothpaste. Like right. it's got to go somewhere. It has to go somewhere. And, and I think it's also too, which is something we talk about at Georgetown a lot now because they're, the business schools are full of half women and half men. And I'm like, you guys, you have to consider if you're a woman and you marry and you're an entrepreneur and you marry another entrepreneur, that is a very different dynamic yeah. than a guy who is working for the bank and maybe making two tons of money and there's a stability factor there. There's not here. Now you can have two entrepreneurs who are going gangbusters, but Murphy's law often says (laughs) when one starts to go south, the other one just happens to be going south at that same time. Oh, and the kid just has the chicken pox. So now what? Yeah, that's actually, I'm glad you're giving such practical advice. Where, where where were you? Um, when I didn't go to Georgetown, so it doesn't matter. It, 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 um, it's irrelevant. Where was I when I was at Georgetown? I mean, I didn't yeah. even take my own advice. It took me 25 years to sit here with you yeah. and well, figure it out. And now you have it. You're welcome, no, by no, the way. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, okay, so this is one of the fun parts, but I would say this it's whole interview has been really fun. Um, uh, it's our quick six. I'm going to ask you a few questions and just answer off the cuff. So would you rather work nine to five or flex schedule? <laughs> Okay. Flex schedule. I couldn't even work <laughs> nine to five. I wouldn't even know what that. Like, can I bark what are in my your mouth? hours? Actually, like generally speaking, you say flex schedule, but I'm sort of laughing because I imagine you to be up, working. I get up usually at six fifteen. I get up. I do my workout where I start with all my stuff for the day. My repeating my goals and stuff every morning that yeah. I do before I can do anything else. I can't listen to music. Can't do anything till I go through my whole little checklist of stuff. And, and you're love, literally like a mantra saying your goals out I, loud. 100% going, I mean, I, like, I'm not walking, jogging down the street going, bah, 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 like saying, but I'm saying them in my head. And then I go, oh, that's a beautiful bird because my yeah. ADD medicine hasn't kicked in. And then I come back to, sorry, we're going to, here we go again. And I repeat that. Like, it's, it is laughable to anybody else. They would think, oh, I mean. I love it. So, yeah. So, so it starts there. And then, I mean, I'd make an argument it doesn't end until I go to bed. Yeah. Because I'm still on Flipboard going, sure. that's so cool. Or still tweeting something or still yeah. putting like, this is the most amazing resource for personalized whatever that I can send as a client sure. gift. So, but it doesn't, that doesn't bother me. And it also doesn't mean that I don't get my nails done, you know, like today when I leave here. 
from four to five thirty without feeling guilty. Yeah, because I just now I'm good with my own biorhythms of. Which also takes a long time to to let go of the guilt and understand what that's all about. Okay, we're not moving through our quick six. You just have too many good morsels here. So if uh, vacation mountains or beach. That's tough. 50, 50. Depends on the mountains. Depends on the beach. Okay. Which range of mountains? <laughs> which beach? Uh, uh, well, you know, specific. beach, like I love the Caribbean. The Caribbean okay. is where I get my head clear and whatever. I love the mountain. Like I was just um, outside of Aspen and I loved that because you're it was very off-season. fancy, Marley. You're very fancy. Well, I, you know, the was, Caribbean and okay, Aspen. Well, well um, okay. I would like Tijuana <laughs> and I would like a taco and a margarita. <laughs> Believe me, that would also be good. And a very nice cabana boy who could speak. He doesn't well, even have to speak Spanish. Right? So I do speak fine. Spanish, but he it's could be fine. mute. Okay. <laughs> Maybe preferably. Okay. Preferably. Um, okay, let's see. Work from home or office? God, home. Really? Even with this great setup? I need to be able to do Go. work. I need to be able okay. to be in here and there. The, you know how I should have answered it is anywhere that's not the same as it was the day before. Yeah. That's actually, that's good to know. I think a lot of people need that change in environment. There's a lot lot of data about that too, by the way. I know I'm that way. I'm like, you know what? I need to just stay home. I've got all client calls. Oh yeah. There's too much to do here. Why am I adding the extra time? Okay. Um, Work alone or with the team? Both. I love my alone time. I love to be by myself and cranking stuff out. But I think you've got to have that balance of, hey, I'm stuck. You guys, what do you think? When you're alone working, is it generating ideas mainly? It's everything. It's generating ideas. It's kind of clearing the deck of putting emails away, tying up loose okay. ends. It's that I strategize when I do it myself. And I, that's when I really sit there and go, okay, check your statistics. Which email got opened more? Write more of those instead okay. of just write five emails, which that's is what how I would do it in the old days. I like that. I need to try that. Okay. Last one. And because we are Liberty Sessions and we believe that there is liberation through entrepreneurship, we have to I ask the this. the Statue of Liberty, yes. Uh, and the Statue her. of Liberty, that, that is a woman. Yeah. Um, what does it mean to you to be liberated? To get to do whatever I want. So yeah. that's to me why you make money and so that you make choices, right? If I have all the money in the world, guess what? I can choose to send my child to any school they want to go to because I can I can choose to take a month off because I'm not worried that my mortgage isn't going to get paid. I can so if, so freedom ultimately I would say is is my ultimate goal is is to have your passive income a minimum of double your expenses. If you've got that as far as I'm concerned, you're freaking you're home good. free. Freedom. Say that 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 formula. Passive income and I mean true passive income. I don't not, mean you, you don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to lift a finger. You you lifted. You, you lifted. lifted. You lifted yeah. and ground and broke and bruised. Yeah. Probably for a long time. Yeah. But if you've got passive income, twice your expenses, and I don't mean minimal expenses. I mean, if you want to drive a Mercedes and that is to drive that Mercedes soaking wet, the car payment, the insurance, <laughs> the all the things that go with it, not just the car payment, which yeah. is what we think. And you're you still have passive income, double your expenses. Well, you still got plenty of margin to mess it up. Okay. Say a bad word. I, I know it's okay. Thank you. It's Liberty. okay. We can handle that. I'm just saying. Um, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> 
I I love first of all it's so great to see you I love spending time with you thank you for making time for our listeners they're gonna love you Um, again we'll have all of Marley but uh, her website her book any of her social media handles will be on the site so stay tuned but for all you who just are chomping at the bit it's thepartygoddess.com correct yeah I own every URL but yeah yeah, it actually is all misspellings (laughs) and everything too but yeah social media is kind of just all at the party goddess. I so love you it. Just, I you love know. it. Well, that's awesome. So they'll know what to check out. Thanks again. Great Thank to you. see you. And we're out, Liberty listeners. We cheers our microphone and pretend they're martinis. <laughs> Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. Liberty is spelled L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. And just remember, there is life after the top knot, as evidenced here. See you next week. Thank you.